Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Grey Viking Games. Grey Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes. From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at greyvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we are going to discuss Witherbloom in Strixhaven. I am not splitting Witherbloom up into multiple archetypes because I don't really believe that there are multiple viable ways to draft Witherbloom. To be honest, I think Witherbloom is not very well supported, which is something that we're going to be discussing, but I do think that it's possible to draft successful Witherbloom decks and it's not nearly as hard as it is to draft at least successful archetypes in Kaldheim, for example. All of the archetypes in Strixhaven are within a reasonable distance of each other in terms of success rates. Uh, Witherbloom, according to 17 Lands, is currently almost exactly as successful as Prismari. I don't know, says some things depending on your perspective. So there are ways to draft these colors successfully. It's not like this whole archetype is a giant trap and you should avoid it. But there are some like cards and sub-archetypes that are traps and that I do think you should avoid. And that's definitely something that we're going to be talking about today. First, I want to cover kind of what I see as the major problems for Witherbloom. Let's just get that out of the way first. So the biggest problem is the lack of gold cards. There just aren't very many strong cards that are green and black. And those are the cards that are supposed to be paying you off for being in this archetype, getting in this archetype in the first place. And the reality is your deck is just supposed to consist of good green cards mixed with good black cards. I've noticed in the last few days, people on my stream asking if I'm forcing Quandrix or something. And what usually happens is I start my drafts by taking strong like lessons and monocolored cards. And then around fourth or fifth pick, I'll often get past a strong gold card, usually a strong uncommon, say something like Quandrix Apprentice or Zimone or Quandrix Cultivator or maybe Rutha or Killian or whatever, some strong uncommon gold card. And that'll lead me to identify that that archetype is open and solidify in that space. The problem is in Quandrix, the best uncommon gold cards are Mortality Spear, and Witherbloom Apprentice. And those are like the only good ones. Mortality Spear is a strong card, but it's not uniquely strong. It's, you know, as good as other uncommon monocolored instant speed removal spells like Lemonade and Flunk. Witherbloom Apprentice is fine. <laughs> like it, it's just, it's a, a, a somewhat good two drop. It's not far from Scurried Colony in quality. It's better if you can cast it as easily, but Scurried Colony's win rate in Quandrix is higher than Witherbloom Apprentice's win rate overall. And that makes it really hard to like see a Witherbloom Apprentice and move into Witherbloom. And then the same thing is true with the commons where the highest performing uncommon is infused with vitality, which has a like game in hand win rate below the average win rate for 17 lands. So it's like the card you get to play as a reward for drafting these two colors together is a completely average common. There's not much going on here in terms of the gold cards to pull you into this place. That means you're basically just playing good green cards and black cards, and that's fine if green and black are open. The mere fact that Quandrix Campus exists gives 
This is significant advantage over a color pair that doesn't have a name, like, you know, Demir or whatever, that's fully unsupported. Getting Witherbloom Campus and having access to a few gold cards is enough to make this a pair of colors that are worth playing together rather than not. But if you're looking for some kind of strong signal to be this thing in particular, rather than just ending up here because you happen to get some good green cards and good black cards, you're very unlikely to find that in any given draft. The other big issue is when looking over like the commons that you want in this archetype compared to, for example, the commons that you want in Lorehold Aggro, what I found was that the commons that seemed most successful in Lorehold Aggro and that would, uh, you'd want to build your deck around, a lot of them were cards that you could reliably table that other people didn't want, so you could have them. And then you could plan for that and build your deck around them. Whereas with Witherbloom, you just want to fill your deck out with generically good cards. You're not really looking for a particularly focused strategy or any narrow synergies, which means you want cards that everyone else also wants. So you're fighting Quandrix for all of your green cards, you're fighting Silverquill for all of your black cards. That means it's really hard for you to get value out of the back half of a pack, unless one of your colors happens to be just really wide open for the whole table. And then the fact that you're you don't have gold cards that can be open, you need your actual colors to be open means that you can't be fighting with someone for green cards, you can't be fighting with someone who's Witherbloom or Quandrix. White cards, you can't be fighting with someone who's Witherbloom or Silverquill, which makes it hard. I mean, it's not bad to be in this seat. It's just more rare that it'll be good to be in this seat. And then kind of more specifically, like the same point, but a little more precise. The problem with Witherbloom in a way is that Professor of Zoomancy is just too good. Professor of Zoomancy should theoretically have synergies with like what Witherbloom is doing. Like it looks to me like it's supposed to be the Witherbloom good card rather than just like the green good card. But the reality is that it's just the green good card. In fact, it actually has a higher win rate at large than it does in Witherbloom, probably because Quandrix is just a more successful archetype in general than Witherbloom is. The advantage that you get from getting access to like blue and green gold cards or getting to work with blue cards instead of black cards is bigger than the like explicit advantage of the theoretical synergies that Witherbloom has with pests. Those are the obstacles. As far as like, why am I talking about this all as one archetype? Like, aren't there multiple different things you can be doing with a Witherbloom? I think, you know, if you look at the card file and you're not really, you haven't played with it a lot and you don't really know which cards work and which cards don't, it's easy to look at it and go like, okay, I, I can see a few different possible things that are going on with green-black here. The make pests and sacrifice them and sacrifice other things to make pests, tend the pest, village rights, plumb the whatever, Damagoth, Woe Eater, Deadly Brew even, just a variety of things. Even as far as the Bayou Graf with like unwilling ingredient, there are a lot of synergies where there's like make eye twitch and unwilling ingredient and pest type creatures and then sacrifice them to draw cards or make big creatures or uh, let your big creatures attack or whatever it is. And then there's also the life gain synergy stuff where you have Blood Researcher and Dina to pay you off for gaining life, which you can do with Overgrown Arch and Witherbloom Apprentice and Witherbloom Pl Pledge Mage. And then there's like Fortifying Draft and stuff like that that exist in the kind of this life gain space. There's a theoretical bridge between those archetypes in that when you sacrifice a pest, you gain a life. And so sacrificing a pest can be part of the whole life gain strategy. And that means that you can focus on like one element here or the other, or you can combine them. 
But the results seem to indicate that none of that stuff is worth doing. When I sort green-black cards on 17 lands by the number of them that appear in people's hands when they play green-black, so like basically the frequency that they're played, versus how often they win when they draw those cards. The cards that win very little while appearing in people's hands very much are like the cards that I would identify as traps. Cards that people are playing a lot that they're not winning with, that they probably shouldn't be playing with as much. And cards that uh, really stand out to me on that list are Dina and Damagoth Woe Eater and Honor Troll, Deadly Brew, Bayou Groth, Unwilling Ingredient, and even Blood Researcher, just because that's like the most played card and it's average to below average success or whatever. So all, all the fancy combo stuff basically underperforms. The cards that perform well are independently good cards, lessons, and cards that learn. So like the, the best performing commons are like Professor of Zoomancy, the four mana 4-3 that makes a 1-1 one, one pest, Rise of Extus, the white-black hybrid six mana spell that exiles a creature and a card from a grave, uh, instant or sorcery from a graveyard and learns, Hunt for Specimen, the one and a black sorcery that makes a 1-1 one, one pest and learns, Lash of Malice, the black instant that gives a creature plus two minus two, Mage Jewel, the green fight spell that gives a creature uh, plus one, plus two, and costs two less if you've cast an instant or sorcery this turn. Witherbloom Pledge Mage, the green-black hybrid five mana, five, five, that gains life whenever you cast an instant or sorcery. None of those rely on any of that other synergy stuff, really play into it. Theoretically, Hunt for Specimens can be part of that kind of thing. Professor of Zumancy gives you a pest. Witherbloom Pledge Mage gives you some life gain stuff. But I don't think that these cards are successful because of that. They're successful just because they're independently good on rate, just doing a thing by themselves. And so I think for the most part, your green-black deck wants to just be creatures and removal, a couple of high-quality tricks, a good amount of learning and lessons, which is not uncommon for the format in general but means that there's not a lot of space to pick up extra value by using cards in a uniquely good way. Looking at the natural curve of, you know, what happens if you just take all the good cards and put them into a deck? Where do you have, like, an abundance of too many different versions of the same effect or different uh, cards at the same cost versus a shortage where you don't have enough cards at a cost that you want? One of the main things that stands out to me is the shortage of three mana creatures. Blood Researcher and Quandrix Pledge Mage are both available and not actively bad. Whereas there are a lot of other options that are available and actively bad. There's the 2-4 Karak, vanilla 2-4 for green and two. There's the Servant or whatever, the three mana 3-2 three that gains two life. There's uh, the Ink horrible card, the 2-3 that draws a card if it dies when it has a plus one plus one counter on it. You want to avoid all that stuff. And the three drops that you do want to play aren't particularly good either. Blood Researcher and Quandrix Pledge Mage are very similar cards. You know, they're three mana 2-2s two that grow potentially fairly quickly. The problem is they both require some amount of investment to get going, and they're easily answered at a pretty big deficit for you by Latch of Malice at Common, Shock at Uncommon, and then once you do get them big, they line up really poorly against like buried in books. Um, and like any creature can kill them with a mage duel. It's hard for them to, you know, escape a heated debate. Really easy for them to get, you know, eaten with value by a academic dispute. 
or sometimes arcane subtraction. So like these, these cards are fine. They can occasionally perform really well in a game, but they're also exploitable. The other place where there's not a lot of great options is the two drops. Uh, Scurred Colony is very good. Hunt for Specimens is very good. But your next best op option at common is not very good. Whatever, whatever you think it is, it's not very good. Arrogant Poet is one of the cards that stands out as one of the biggest traps, winning 48.3% of the time, you know, in a world where the average is 54 or 55% or something. So really, really, really bad in green black to be playing Arrogant Poet. Leech Fanatic's okay. Leech Fanatic is 52%, which is the low end of fine. It's about as good as Quandrix Pledge Mage. Uh, exactly the same win, same win rate as Quandrix Pledge Mage, actually. But Leech Fanatic is your third best available common two drop. You're often going to want to actually put Leech Fanatic in your deck. But the lack of two and three drops, to me, the best way to deal with this is by really, really, really highly prioritizing Hunt for Specimens and then making sure that you have Pest and or Inkling Summoning as your three drop. You also want to supplement with Cram Sessions so that all of your games, basically, or as many as possible, are starting with either Cram Session or Hunt for Specimens on two and then a three mana lesson on three, and that's kind of like where your board presence comes from. And then you want to just ideally play, you know, Professor of Zoomancy, or maybe things aren't going quite as well, and you end up playing a Spectre of the Fens or something on four, but that's fine. And then you have like Witherbloom Pledge Mage, Lowland Invocations for your, like your late game big stuff, and then just a bunch of removal spells. And if you do have like multiple Hunt for Specimens and one or more pest summonings, then I think it's okay to kind of like dabble in the sacrifice energy stuff as long as you don't go all in on it, don't play a bunch of like Bayou Graphs, especially since, you know, the the plan of like sacrificing a one drop to play a Bayou Graph on turn two isn't very good. It involves putting Unwilling Ingredient in your deck, which has a really low win rate, and Bayou Graph, which has a really low win rate, and then drawing both of them, and then hoping your opponent doesn't have a heated debate or a Baryon Books or something. And then hoping that you can actually like get enough value out of this before they just like play an Elemental and trade or something. You want to look more at, you know, maybe you have like Village Rights, maybe uh, Plum or whatever. So like Deadly Brew is another card that stood out as a trap. Very, you know, very, very bad win rate, like 50.9. But I suspect that it's probably slightly overplayed and I think it might be okay. Might be okay. Not sure. There are definitely a lot of spaces, a lot of cards that it doesn't line up well against, but it might be okay if you do have a lot of Hunt for Specimens and Pest Summonings. But for the most part, you want to avoid the stuff that's asking you to sacrifice these things and just kind of, you know, get some pests, use them to block set up to play bigger creatures and like use these random pests so that you don't have to use removal spells on their two ones and two two ground creatures and you can kind of like gum up the ground a little bit and then save your lash of malices for their flyers and whatever other removal spells you have for whatever else you need to kill so that's that's really what's going on. It's it's not a complicated archetype. Basically, the whole archetype is don't fall into the trap of trying to play synergistic cards because all the cards that look like they're supposed to do that don't work. But acknowledge that there aren't enough independently good cards. And so you need to just like make do with what you have. And sometimes that's going to mean playing a little bit of the synergy stuff in to some extent. But try to find the cards that happen to be synergistic with the good cards you already have 
rather than, okay, well, now I'm playing this blood. Like, don't take Blood Researcher early and then draft around making Blood Researcher good. Draft normally, and then if you have some stuff that can use Blood Researcher, let Blood Researcher come to you and put it in your deck. But then don't go out of your way to like try to make it better. Try to avoid playing it at its floor, but don't aspire to its ceiling. You just want it to be serviceable in your deck. I think that's really how to deal with the uh, synergy cards, is any of them that are incidentally supported by what you're doing without going out of your way, play with them. But don't work hard to support them if it would involve taking any weaker cards over stronger cards to support these other picks you've made. And I think that's really like the most important part of successfully drafting Witherbloom is prioritize your fundamentals and then let the synergy stuff fall into place naturally without really working for it. One other really important card to call out that I don't have a lot to say about outside of just some numbers, Fortifying Draft. Fortifying Draft is the common slash uncommon, the non-rare mythic card with the highest game in hand win rate of anything in green black, the actual top of the list. And it's taken after ninth pick on average. So I mentioned that there's not a lot of room to like count on getting these, like the commons that are successful for this archetype. The one card that you apparently can reliably, you know, see if it's opened anywhere at the table just happens to be the actual highest win rate card in the archetype, which is kind of funny. So I guess what I'm saying is basically everyone is sleeping on Fortifying Draft and you should probably just put it in your green black decks. I don't think anything about it is like, oh, you need to do anything weird with it. I think it's just, this is a good rate. Like the life gain matters a bit. Pumping your creature matters a bit. It's a one mana trick that can just, you know, be good tempo or whatever. I I don't think it's anything really special. It's just a bunch of little things that add up to enough. And every now and then you can end up in a spot where you like, you know, combo someone for a million with cram session or something. But I don't think that's what it's fundamentally about. I think it's just like a solid card that people are kind of sleeping on. Yeah, not not a lot to say here. Pretty simple, pretty simple archetype, I think. Whenever I'm drafting Witherbloom and trying to kind of like, you know, beat the odds and get a deck where my cards are going to work better than the stats say they should or something, I feel like the thing that I'm hoping to do that other people aren't doing is just, well, what if I play the good cards, but I don't also play the bad cards with them? And if you can do that, I think the deck is fine. I think it's just that there are a lot of cards that specifically point to, hey, have you considered putting this bad card in your deck? And if you can answer all that with, I have and I'm not going to, then you'll probably be more successful with the archetype than you would be if you can, if you get sucked into any of those traps. With that said, that's that's the end of my uh, pretty short, straightforward lecture on Witherbloom. I'm going to open it up to questions. While I'm waiting for those questions, I do, as always, want to thank my patrons who have uh, joined on to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes in the last week. Thank you for your support, uh, Christopher, Morley, and Justin. Really appreciate it. Anyone else who is interested in what we're doing here, interested in getting notes, participating in the polls for what we're going to be talking about, whatever else, check out the benefits over at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Incidentally, I apologies. I meant to suggest for anyone over there who is interested in the notes that the notes for this are up and you can follow along. I suppose, you know, you, you can pull those up now if you haven't um, and that interests you. 
anyway, that's my my little intermission spiel. Great. Oh, I love this question. Okay. First question. And the, the, this question also reminds me of another thing that I wanted to talk about that I uh, didn't. So we're going to we're going to cover this question in a little bit of a tangent. So outside of sciences, are there. Oh, that's another great point. OK. Outside of sciences, are there specific lessons you're looking to pick up in Witherbloom or is it just any lesson is better than an average playable? OK, so this opens up a bunch of stuff that I wanted to say. So first of all, outside of sciences, great point. Sci yes, sciences is absolutely a priority for Witherbloom. Also, I think prioritizing cram session in particular makes sciences, environmental sciences, the lesson that searches for a basic land, a particularly high priority and lets you get a little more ambitious in terms of being solid three color. Solid three color decks are not statistically very successful, but I don't know if people are, you know, I, I don't know exactly why that is. I think I, I've had success with like solid Abzan decks, for example. I think like the fact that Cram Session can fix your mana from green or black lets you be a little bit more ambitious with your mana base if you have a couple of Cram Sessions in a Sciences. And, you know, we often think of green as the color that splashes. And while it's not especially that in this format, there are, you know, some cards that let you do that, like um, Emergent Sequence and Cultivate. And then, like, the uh, cheap learn cards that don't require any setup to get value that exist in green and black make it particularly easy to use environmental science as well. So, like, the fact that Cram Session and Hunt for Specimens both don't need combat to occur or something like academic dispute or arcane subtraction and like the white ones require creatures to be in play or study break doesn't require creatures to be in play but it doesn't do anything if there isn't a creature in play the fact that cram session and hunt for specimens both do something positive for you if you just cast them on turn two makes it a lot easier to use them to use environmental sciences to like splash and that makes witherbloom a particularly good deck to splash extra colors in and fix your mana with environmental sciences, which makes environmental sciences a particularly high priority here and can help deal with the lack of gold cards available in green and black if you can steal other people's gold cards and fix your mana with sciences. So first, great point about sciences being a priority. Yes, it absolutely is. And yes, that informs like some other stuff about how you should be drafting the deck and other ways to like get value here and find other good cards to play to avoid playing some of the like trap cards that I was talking about. On top of Cram Session, Hunt for Specimens, being great lessons that don't require any kind of specific setup that you can just play for value on an empty board. You also have Field Trip, which Field Trip I wanted to call out as another really good card in this deck because of it being another solution to the lack of good three mana creatures problem. Another great opening for this deck is instead of going like Hunt for Specimens into some kind of summoning, you could instead go like Scurried Colony into Field Trip and then set yourself up to play like a Witherbloom Pledge Mage or something like that on the following turn. So I do think that you want to prioritize all of those learn cards really, really highly. And yes, Sciences is the highest priority lesson. But then where in like the White Aggro decks, I think that Expanded Anatomy is really high priority. Here, I think your highest priorities outside of environmental sciences are kind of like pest summoning, to set up your early game and to account for the turn three problem, which I discussed, but then also fractal summoning. I think it's really, really important for this archetype to have at least one, ideally multiple fractal summonings, so that all of your early game cards 
that you're playing just to like do something in the early game and establish yourself by getting a summoning become great top decks in the late game that give you a lot of power that are why this deck fundamentally works is you have all these like split card curve out setup cards in hunt for specimens and cram session into summoning that then are also late game finishers where you just draw those and get a fractal summoning and play a big threat and that's why i would ideally like to have multiple fractal summonings on top of one or two three mana summonings those are the lessons that i would call out as super high priorities and then i would also generally agree with the you know any castable lesson is going to be better than any average playable and you want to really prioritize yourself really prioritize learn cards especially the ones that i've talked about to get into that kind of spot next question what's the best third color to supplement wither bloom so obviously you're looking at not red because red doesn't give you any gold cards. So you're looking at either blue or white. I personally have found myself more likely to splash white because either getting lucky and finding Professor of Symbology and then being in a space where I end up more kind of just like Abzan because Professor of Symbology is a good cheap card or just like splashing closing statement or something like that. And the other thing is like the best Quandrix cards, like the good Quandrix uncommons are like Zimone and Quandrix Pledge Mage and Quandrix Cultivator, all of which are cheap and or stronger early. So I think it's like a little bit more likely that you want to splash white than blue, but it's, you know, really just if you can splash something, look for good cards, especially gold cards and splash them. Um, I've, I've done both. Oh, and like the, I think it's called Aether Helix, the five mana bounce a, thi- bounce a thing and return it permanent from your graveyard. It's potentially a reasonable splash in Wither Bloom. Neither blue nor white is significantly ahead of the other. Uh, next question, does the lack of good two drops and reliance on summonings mean that Field Trip is worse than Wither Bloom? No, it's not. It's great in Wither Bloom. It's not ideal to start with Hunt for Specimens into Field Trip in that Hunt for Specimens has a relatively small impact on the battlefield. And then Field Trip also, like, you know, you're falling further behind on each of those turns. I generally, when I'm playing a ramp spell on three, I find it really important to play a creature on two. And so if I have Field Trips, then, you know, I'm obviously super highly prioritizing Scurried Colony, but I'm also more likely to want to prioritize like Leech Fanatic and Reckless Amplomancer to make sure that I'm playing a slightly higher impact two mana card before playing my field trip. Whereas like if I have a lot of Hunt for Specimens, then I might prioritize field trip a little bit lower because at that point, well, I already have a good amount of access to my lessons and now I'm looking to not fall so far behind on the board or maybe just like looking for lessons instead of the learn coach there. So you do want to pay attention to like which of those openings is your deck favoring, but either opening is good. Yes, this question is broadly about the fact that I've said that I think each of the colleges have an aggressive and controlling build and asking if I think that's true for Witherbloom. And yeah, early it looked like it might be, but I think, I mean, you know, I, I could imagine, you know, leaning really hard into like leech fanatics and big plays and fortifying drafts and having like a lower curve with some tricks and stuff being like a functional deck. But I think that for the most part, it's very rare that that's going to be what you want to do. But I also think that you're all you're not super looking to be like really big um, and really controlling either. I think that everything in Witherbloom just ends up blurring together into 
there are enough bad cards, bad gold cards, enough cards that just like aren't good, like syner fake synergies, cards that just don't pan out. The reason that these like gold sets in general support aggressive and controlling decks that are like distinct archetypes in the same color pair is because there's so much room in the set dedicated to the color pair that there are enough cards to support both plans. When you print cards that point towards synergies that don't quite get there, and then those cards end up being blank, it decreases the amount of space available in that color pair in a way that ends up collapsing it into a single archetype that just uses the good cards. So I think the more I've seen like the results and stats for Witherbloom and the more I've tried drafting it, the more it feels like there were enough misses in the set that the archetype has kind of collapsed into like there's really just like one deck here that's going to end up playing out slightly differently from draft to draft because that's the nature of draft. But for the most part, I don't think it's going to end up like splintering into multiple different archetypes. Mystical archive cards that play especially well in Witherbloom or that are traps. Agonizing Remorse stands out as the card that people play them play a lot that has a pretty bad win rate. So I guess I would identify that as kind of a trap. Snakeskin Veil is one that's good, especially if you're trying to do Quandrix Pledge Mage Blood Researcher stuff. Having Snakeskin Veil to protect those is pretty important. I'd also point out that if you find yourself in a like, okay, I'm doing like Blood Researcher, Quandrix Pledge Mage stuff kind of space, and you're like, all right, I'm going to protect these with Snakeskin Veil. Another card that doesn't have great stats overall, but I've had some good experiences with is Tend the Pests. And I think that Tend the Pests is good if and only if you have a good number of big creatures to sacrifice to it. But in general, anytime you can sacrifice a big creature that's going to get killed to Tend the Pests, that ends up being like a really big swing. Like if you get five or more pests, that's like very significant versus especially if it was a creature that was going to be dead. So I think like Tend the Pests is kind of another way to protect a Blood Researcher or Quandrix Pledge Mage that you've invested in. There's, there's the only Mystic Archive cards that like particularly stand out here. I mean, Eliminate is just like a good removal spell and stuff. But next question is that the trophy leader on uh, Magic Online said that he had a good success with Witherbloom by just playing a bunch of Biographs and I Twitch as an unwilling ingredients to curve into Biograph. And he's not sure how to square that with my saying that they're bad. All I have to base this on is the fact that those cards have really low win rates on 17 lands, which maybe speaks to not they're bad when combined, but that people are more likely to put them into their deck when they're not combining them than they should be. And so if someone is telling you, hey, I'm a good player who's had a lot of success doing this thing, I wouldn't necessarily be inclined to discount their experiences. And I could, I could certainly believe um, that if you have, you know, four plus unwilling ingredients, three plus biographs or whatever, then like that package starts to be a real thing, especially if you're supporting it with, you know, the stuff that I was just talking about, Snakeskin Veil and uh, tend, the, tend the Pests as a way to like make sure that you don't get completely destroyed when your opponent plays Buried in Books. Maybe we can ask people who are familiar with like doing deep dives into the 17 lands data about looking into all right, well, what happens to the win rate if we combine multiple graphs with multiple specifically unwilling ingredients and eye twitches? Then are those good or has that one player just had a string of a couple of drafts where that happened to work? So as for don't know what to think, I would say, you know, anytime someone's saying, yeah, don't do this, it doesn't work. And someone else is saying, I do this and it works. 
you're better off trusting the person who said, I do this and it works because the person who says this doesn't work probably doesn't do it. And so they don't have their own direct experiences about it. Whereas someone who's like, oh yeah, I do this all the time. It's successful. If that's true, then they're right. That's just how it is. Like this, I do it and it happens is very hard to refute. I'm not saying any card that has a low win rate here or that generally isn't successful can't be in certain instances. And if you find cards that are valued low enough that you can put together synergies that do work, that's great. But what I know is these cards are either being so overplayed that they're being played off plan and then they're unsuccessful, or that people have tried the, you know, combining them in the ways that should be fairly obvious and it's not working. And to me, I guess I'm assuming that when the, the synergies are like this straightforward and obvious, that people are at least trying to put them together and then it's not working. That's kind of my feedback on that space and what to do when you have conflicting information in general. Well, it's gonna wrap this up a little shorter than usual, which I'm totally fine with. When I set out to create this project, my plan was, you know, not to try to hit a particular length, just say what there is to say, and that should be sufficient. Yeah, that, that will do it for Witherbloom. Hope this was useful, even if, you know, couldn't say, oh, here's, you know, the, the hidden combo that makes this work. Uh, it's really just, you know, fundamentals of creatures and removal. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. And next week, we'll be back with the archetype of the choice of the patrons who choose to vote for the next archetype. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye.